Welcome to the Red Door Church Sermon Podcast. Red Door Church is a church seeking to transform the city of Pretoria by the power of the gospel. We are distinctly mission-minded, community-cultivating, and city-loving. Please enjoy this week's sermon, and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you. Most of you would know that we're in this series titled Our Father, and we're working through the Lord's Prayer. And part of this is Jesus, that after his disciples asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. Jesus then say, tells them, pray like this. And not specifically only the words of the Lord's Prayer, but specifically giving them a, temp, a, 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 a template of how to pray or theological treaties of how do we approach God. And it's been pretty good um, since we started. Today we are in verse 12. We are going to do the passage and forgive us our debts, even as we have forgiven our debtors. But let me read from verse 9 to 15 for us again. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our dad in heaven, we pray that your name would be holy both in our lives and the people around us. We pray that the relationship that we enjoy with you would grow all the more and that the people around us and that the people of this world would also come into relationship with you. We pray that that perfect relationship that you enjoy, God the Father, the Son and the Spirit in heaven would also be true on this earth, that we would experience that peace. Father, we do pray that you would provide physically for us our bread, but also for our families, for our jobs, our vocations. We pray for the economy. Father, we pray for the marginalized. We pray for the oppressed. We pray for our city that you would provide and forgive us our debts, even as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For you, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Those last two verses are the ones that we added for today's passage, just to help us with that and kind of understand the theology behind that. Before we get going, so we're obviously talking about forgiveness and repentance this morning. It's very interesting when you start Googling forgiveness quotes. You guys have any quotes that you can remember that people have said before about forgiveness? Why is it a good idea to forgive other people? And don't give me the Christian answers. I want to want to know what people normally say. Like if you Google Dalai Lama and forgiveness, you get like hundreds of things. With archbishops, I probably won't get a quote out of you guys now. But um, and I don't have internet access right now. But a couple of the quotes that Dalai Lama gave is. The moment you forgive someone, you set a prisoner free. First yourself and also the people that you haven't forgiven. Uh, to forgive is to let go of anger and invite peace into your home. To forgive is the way in which we actually enjoy our lives and set other people free. There's very cool quotes about forgiveness. And then there's one that C.S. Lewis gives that's probably more apt when we talk about forgiveness. C.S. Lewis once said, everyone thinks forgiveness is a good idea until they have something to forgive. And, And this is really true. Forgiveness sounds so good until you are the one that has been wronged, until you are the one that has to forgive someone something. It's a truly hard thing to do. And there's a very good reason for this. When someone has wronged you, 
they've actually taken something from you. Whether it's your trust or your joy or your peace or something, but you had a relationship with someone or there was something going on between you and someone else and they actually misused their trust. Whether it's even the person you don't know driving in front of you that cut you off. There was an understanding of how we should drive. <laughs> a non-verbal contract between one another. And so when someone has wronged you, they're actually in your debt. They owe you something. And so to forgive that person means that you let go of that debt, which is a difficult thing to do. Why? Well, we want to hold on to what we have. If you don't have a lot, you've got to fight for yourself. You've got to fight for your own justice. You've got to fight for what you have in this world. You've got to fight for your recognition. You've got to fight for your acceptance. You've got to fight for every peace or own or, or whatever you want to gain in this world. And so it's difficult just to let go of that. And I think you're right. I think we're all right. Forgiveness should be hard. And maybe, plainly speaking, in a worldly sense, we shouldn't forgive everyone everything because what would happen is you would almost become bankrupt. Maybe even physically bankrupt if people keep stealing from you or you they, they misuse your goodness or your good nature. Where would we end up if we continually forgive others just everything that they've done against us? We are indeed, or at least this is how we feel, entitled to something. We deserve recognition. And for the most part, we would be right. That people that owe us something if they've wronged us actually need to repay us. So how do we deal with this? How do we deal with the fact that we are very much owed some things, or owed by the people that they are in our debt, and yet we also recognize that even as Christians or even normal people, that holding on to that debt it destroys not only the other person, or they didn't even know about that, but at least relationally there's brokenness between you and the other party, and your own peace suffers in the meantime. And so we, we come at a crossroads, at a conundrum, at a catch-22, where both we recognize that we want to get back that was taken from us, but also if we only want to get back, we're going to destroy our own peace on our own hearts. So how do we deal with this? Well, lucky for us as Christians, we have the Lord's Prayer. We have God and Jesus addressing this right here today. And so today's talk, and I'll keep it, or I'll try to keep it brief. We'll see where the Spirit goes. Um, we'll summarize by three questions. Firstly, before we even get to other people and how and why we should forgive them, the question then, coming out of the Lord's Prayer, starts with a request that Jesus says on our behalf to the Lord, Lord, forgive us our sins. And so the first question that we'll do with is, well, why do we need forgiveness? The second part is, why do we then need to forgive others their debts? And then thirdly, how do we do this? How do we actually get to that point where you not just think or have good intentions of forgiving other people, but you can truly forgive them from the heart. And so just a little bit of context for those joining us for the first time. As we've been journeying through the Lord's Prayer, it's been really revolutionary and revealing to me, even my own prayer life. Uh, what we're seeing in the Lord's Prayer is that Jesus turns their focus away in the beginning from 
just our material needs and what we need and gives them a new perspective. It starts with re-establishing the relationship that we have through Jesus with the Father. And so he starts and saying, our dad, our Abba Father, the one that has reconciled us. Jesus then goes further and says, this isn't just a good dad, but this is a dad who's in control. He's in heaven. He sits above all rule and authority. And so not only is he able to do everything, he is willing as well. And from there we see, because this is who he is, we want to see the necessary glory go towards him and his name. And firstly, we want to see that realized on our own lives. And we discovered that the way that we give God the glory is by simply enjoying him. Furthermore, we saw that the kingdom that we want to come in this world is actually incarnated within Jesus. And so the kingdom of God is the realm of grace represented by Jesus himself. And so this kingdom is a relational kingdom that's coming in and through us to the rest of the world. And so the way that this kingdom spreads is by inviting more people into this glorious relationship with Jesus. And it's out of that understanding that we can make known our needs, our desires to God. And we see when we do it in that way, it aligns actually with God's kingdom, with with his purpose. I don't know about you guys, but it's kind of challenged me in my own prayer life as I'm coming to Jesus and praying to him every morning or every day. I start off and I'm like, man, these things are happening today, Lord. I need you now. You got to show up. (laughs) There's some challenges ahead. And I almost forgot the first half of the Lord's prayer. I forgot to actually once again remind myself who God is. What do I have in him? How can I come to him? And so I've been challenged in the last couple of weeks to start over. Halfway through my prayer, I'm like, oh yeah, I jumped in with me and not with who God is. I've, I've shrunk God to my size and how I think I can contain him. And so again, chatting about today, what we need and what we constantly need is to reevaluate our perception of who God is and what he can do. And so, as we come to our, I don't want to say passage, our verse, forgive us our debts, even as we have forgiven our debtors. It'll be interesting to see what translation you have and how they interpret the word debts. Um, Many other translation talks about sin or transgressions, and so forgive us our transgressions, even as we forgive those that have transgressed against us and it's not the right translation the the actual greek word that is used there is debts it is someone owing you something and this is a it's an interesting thought how this describes sin throughout the old and new testament we see that sin is described in various different ways it's either you've we we see in the old testament that a lot of the words that is used to describe sin is missing the mark hey this is what you should have been doing you didn't do that you missed the mark Another word is just transgress. God had a law and you transgress this law. Another word is just disobedience. And you get many different words describing what sin is. It is rebellion. It is idolatry. It's just turning away from God. So this morning, the word to use, we have sinned against God, is the word debt. And it actually, it's a good summation of what sin is. Because God is the all-glorious one, It's not only when we transgress or rebel against his good will when we're sinning, but it's also the other side. Because he is God, we owe him praise 
we owe him glory. We owe him a life that's dedicated to him. So it's not just what we shouldn't do. It's also because he's the glorious one, what we should be doing. We sin both when we transgress and also when we don't give glory where glory is due. Another way to put this is it is the sin of omission. Not doing what you were supposed to be doing. Being born, we are born into debt. Not that we just have transgressed, but we owe God something. A life full of praise. The Archbishop Usser before his death, prayed this, Lord, forgive most of all my sins of omission. He understood that more than what God needs or desires, but what he deserves is our praise and honor. And so as humanity, it's not just what we do wrong, it's also a way we don't give praise and honor where it is due. And this is then, where the life of Jesus is so perfect in two ways. Many times we only focus on the sacrifice made on the cross, and true, that is the pinnacle, that is the climax of what Jesus came and did for us. But both his life and resurrection is equally important. The life of Jesus is crucial to us being forgiven. On the cross he paid for our transgressions, but in his life he stored up credit, he gave glory Everything that he should have done, that we should have done for our Father, he did perfectly. And so the moment Jesus died on the cross and he was resurrected, what he gave us was not simply forgiveness for sins, it was also the righteousness that he attained while living. Being the perfect son, that's why the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. It almost is this cloak of righteousness. Once you come to Jesus or to the Father through Christ by the power of the Spirit, that is what we are draped in. And that is why Christians then receive forgiveness. Not just for their sins, but also the sins of omission. Where Christians receive righteousness. That means a life that was lived rightly before God. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. My sin had become a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. This is what Jesus did. However, as a sinner we come and we confess our sins and we receive this forgiveness. But this is not the prayer that Jesus gives in the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is praying as a model for Christians, those who have already come to God those who have already received this righteousness and this forgiveness. And so, in a sense, I think we can all agree and we can nod the head and say, yes, we understand that non-Christians should pray for forgiveness because they still need that acceptance. They actually need the forgiveness and the cloak of righteousness. But what is the motivation then for Christians? Once we have already received it, why do we still pray for forgiveness daily? If Christ then has already saved us and forgiven us for past, present, and future sins, invited us without any strings attached, that will sanctify us until he comes again, why then do we daily are invited to come 
repent of our sins and ask for forgiveness. Well, as sons and daughters, we pray, as we pray the Lord's Prayer or as we pray for forgiveness, we aren't praying for justification. Rather, what we daily do as we confess our sins and we come to the Father, we pray for a restoration of the relationship. Here is the one thing that Christians understand how the dynamic changes once you've come to the Father. Before you've entered into Christianity, it is transactional. You understand that there's this debt that you owe, that you're supposed to pay, but we can't pay it. People still and try to pay this debt by trying to be a better person. Once you become a Christian, you realize that I could never be a good enough person. It's only in relationship that I am saved. And so the dynamic changes from transactional as a slave to relational as a son. And being in a relationship with the Father, you realize by turning away from Him as we daily do, by still finding our many salvations or many affirmations or many acclaim in the things around us, what we, that what we communicated was that God wasn't enough for us in that moment. And so the relationship is damaged. It's not destroyed. We don't need to become a Christian again. But in a sense, it is damaged. And the relationship will stay damaged and awkward, almost like you had a fight with your friend and things aren't preparing itself. You guys are kind of in an awkward space, especially now you're seeing one another again for the first time today. You're avoiding. I can see Seha sitting over here and someone else is sitting here. They're just avoiding one another. That relationship even though it still exists, but needs repairing. And the way that we repair it is by confessing and asking for forgiveness. And here's where the dynamo of the gospel starts working. And in order to ask for forgiveness, in order to repent to the Father, you need to start believing once again and anew that there is grace for you. Here is where the prayer of the Christian and the non-Christian actually correlates with one another. That equally we are daily in need of grace. One to enter into sonship and for the other one to once again taste sonship. To once again remind ourselves that it is not up to me. It is not me trying to find my identity in the other things. It's me once again understanding that my identity is within the life, work, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It is a painful process sometimes asking for forgiveness. In the rest of the New Testament, this gets expanded, where even James asks us to confess our sins to one another so that we would receive forgiveness. It is not that our forgiveness is predicated on us confessing to one another, but if I need to confess it to you openly, my sin, I better believe that there is grace for me. It's easy confessing it and the silence to God and then saying that I believe grace and that I believe that He has accepted me. But if you really want to put it to the test, if you really want to dent your pride, invite other people to speak into your life. I did this a couple of years ago. I was really sad that I made this move. But I asked a couple of my close friends and saying, hey guys, I think we've grown. I'm growing spiritually. I would love you guys to give some feedback just about personality and character. What do you guys see? Oh, 
That was a wrong move. <laughs> Maybe a right move, but a wrong move. It was painful. But what was, what was painful? What was getting shots? It was my pride. It was my pride still echoing thoughts of my former self that has already died. You got to make it. You got to be the man. And that, that pride is still there, it's yelling at my soul, yelling in my flesh. Try to build a name for yourself. And every time we get the opportunity to ask for forgiveness and the opportunity to repent to one another, we get the opportunity to once again remind ourselves it's not up to me. And the other thing to say and to remind ourselves in this, even as we read through the Lord's Prayer, that sometimes we, we don't have the willingness to engage with this painful process of asking for forgiveness. But God is a good father. He cannot not be God. He will stay and he will be a good father, meaning that he won't leave us in our sins if we are his sons and daughters. And so this is an open invitation to constantly restore the relationship. But family, it's not a warning. It's just a hint that God won't leave you in your sin. He will either bring you low through circumstance or through his word, friends and family and the church, once again calling you home. And all of this isn't out of his wrath. It is a good dad disciplining us so that we don't stay in our ways. And the primary place where we do this is once again daily reflecting, where haven't I believed that he is enough? Or where have I gone to my mini Jesuses? Where did I go to my false idols and trying to trust in those things? Once we discover as Christians that forgiveness is the place where we taste grace again, we realize that repentance or forgiveness is like oxygen for the Christian life. It's the thing that we naturally do as we breathe in and out. It is the thing that gives life to our spiritual souls as we receive forgiveness and we live in forgiveness. As we repent and receive forgiveness. As we repent and receive forgiveness. Similarly then, asking for forgiveness goes together in the Lord's Prayer with extending forgiveness. Forgiving forgiveness to those that have wronged you. Which goes into the second part of the question, why do we need to forgive others their sins? It almost seems like, and it sits very, oh, I struggled with this prayer for a long time. It almost seems like this prayer is conditional. The forgiveness that we receive is conditional upon us forgiving others, thereby actually scrapping grace and making this a works-based religion. You are only forgiven as much as you are able to forgive others. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me pretty nervous. <laughs> There's this daily struggle where I tend to struggle to forgive people. It's easy in some senses, but daily there are things in the back of my mind where you just think about, have you forgiven everyone in your life? I'll say very easily, yes. And then if I sit still for a moment, I try to suppress those thoughts, those other names coming up like, no, don't think about that. Don't think about them right now. They don't count. They're in a different category. However, the unforgiving Christian automatically brands himself or herself as a hypocrite. 
If you truly understand the forgiveness you received in Christ, you would receive it or you would give it to others. Meaning that your forgiveness doesn't rest on your act or even on your ability to forgive others, but rather it rests on your understanding and on your acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's say this again. As you accept the beautiful gospel, gospel, as you taste and see the mercy that is in Jesus, you would see that mercy and forbearance becomes the central part and theme of a Christian's life. The inability to forgive someone else their sins does not disqualify you from the grace of God. Let me say that again. The inability to forgive someone's sins does not disqualify you from the grace of God, but it does show that you never received it in the first place. If we are unable to forgive someone, it is not that we're not trying hard enough. It might mean for you here today that you've never actually tasted the grace of Jesus yourself. You might have followed a version of the grace. You've been in church. You've done the rules. You think you've done everything that you should have been doing. Is Jesus not at long last happy with me? But as a fruit of that brand of Christianity, you see unforgiveness in your life. What that should do is you look at your dashboard of your life and that light flicks up. I don't want to forgive. I don't want to forgive. That's the engine light. You should stop the car. We should go back to the source. You have not tasted grace yourself. The first spiritual fruit that is produced as a person comes to Christ is their own personal repentance. That's the first fruit. You can't come to Christ without repentance and forgiveness and immediately what should happen in the christian or what is produced in the christian is the ability to start forgiving others i'm not saying that we do this perfectly <laughs> i'm not saying that you won't struggle with this and that it will always be easy even as we said in the beginning being wronged is real let's just accept that for a moment let's not act like we're these lonely donny christians that never get hurt by the people around us. As you experience hurt, it is very real and people actually do owe you something. People that are indebted to you, it still hurts. But true forgiveness is by faith alone in Christ, apart from works. But repentance is the fruit of that faith. Let's say that again, true forgiveness is by faith alone in Christ, apart from works. But repentance is the fruit of that faith that you have in Jesus. Then this lays the platform as we engage, it goes hand in hand. How do we then get to the space where we can actually start not just professing that I'm forgiving someone else. You know, oh, I forgive, but I never forget. <laughs> How do we then actually, truly, from the heart, start forgiving people? Because I don't know about you guys. I have tried this before, and then it just comes back up in my heart. Before I know it, I realize that I actually still harbor some feelings of animosity against someone. Even though I've forgiven them a long time ago, it just comes up naturally, like breathing. I don't even know it's hidden in my heart. I've already forgiven them. Once the name comes up, I'm like, oh, that person. 
Debbie, I'm sure you've never felt like this before. So how do we do this? Even though we know, and I think we all would say, well, the Christian answer is, you just once again remind yourself that you have been given grace, and then so you can extend grace to others. Really? How does that work? How's that been working until now? Just the knowledge that you've received grace, how has that convinced you to actively try and really from the heart forgive the people around you? I think we don't deal enough with what it means. We simply say the Christian line that we know is true and it is the gospel. And that is the answer, coincidentally, without actually dealing with the truth of what that means. And so Jesus double clicks on this. He goes and he tells a parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. We're not going to read the whole parable right now. It's a great one. Go read it afterwards. But it starts with a typical Peter. Peter is just uh, sort of the front foot. He goes to Jesus. Self-righteous like, Jesus, how many times do you need to forgive someone? Seven times? Pumping out his chest is like, man, surely not seven. I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. And Jesus responds in the most ludicrous way ever. No, I tell you, 70 times seven. And Peter's just like, ah, he's missed it. And then Jesus tells a parable. Not to the effect that we should forgive someone 490 times for those that were at the tutoring yesterday helping with mathematics. But rather the principle of what should go on in our hearts as we dealing with the wrestle, with forgiveness for ourselves and for the people around us. Jesus tells about this king that decides to settle his debts and he gets in this one oak that just owes him millions of rands. Okay, billions of rands for our American friends. Um, it's a lot of money. And this guy is unable to pay the debt. And so the king instructs them, sell him, sell his wife and his kids to settle the debt. He pleads with the king, have mercy. The king looks on the servant and has pity on him, writing off his debt. The guy goes outside. He finds one of his fellow servants that owes him a hundred denarii, which is about a hundred thousand rand. For us, it's a lot, $10,000, but 100,000 Rand is a lot, okay? So it's not, it's not no small debt. It's almost a 30% or 40% of a year's salary. So it's not like this guy owed him a Coke and, a, and, and some ch chips. I mean, this is a sizable amount of money. And he grabs him by the throat, he chokes him, throws him into prison. The king hears about this, calls the oak. It's like my guy. I wrote off this debt, and yet you refused to show grace and mercy to this guy. And he held him in prison until his debt was paid, which is insurmountable. And here is the principle of the parable that we're supposed to be giving. Verse 35 says, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The principle of the parable is it is not only what we were forgiven, what has been paid off, it is what we have been given together with the debt. We have been given an account that is overflowing with grace and mercy. Not only is the servant's debt written off, 
his debt is written off, but also what he received from the king was grace and mercy that abounded. And similarly with us, our transgressions have been written off. Our sins of omission have been written off. But instead of that, we have been given grace and mercy that we could never earn. We have been given son and daughtership, a new identity, a new purpose to live for. Both the negative is off, but now we are in the positive, given more that we can ever use. Meaning that we have so much grace, so much more that you can ever spend. You can never run out of this grace that has been given you in the way that you can spend it to the people around you. We have been given an identity that we don't need to find in people or in the workplace or in a vocation or anything else or in a relationship. You have been given this acceptance in the gospel that you never have to work for again. You have been given this family relationship that you're in and that you will never remove you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Where else will you find it in this world? And yet, as Christians, we live with amnesia. And so we're thinking we're still living like beggars. We're living from hand to mouth. And so whatever anyone has wronged me, what they owe me, I've got to hunt them down and get mine. Because if I don't, I'll go bankrupt. Not realizing that our bank account is full. We can be reckless in the way that we spend grace to the people around us. Because recklessly grace has been given to us. I know what the world tells you and what your own flesh tells you is you've got to fight for your own name. Otherwise everyone's going to trample it all over you. Jesus gives the other side and said, I've already given you a place of authority. I've already given you glory and love. And it is within the kingdom of grace. Christians, there's so much more for you. The trick then for us and the prayer to forgive others their sins is not to try every day and forgive them harder. Try harder to forgive people. But it is actually to receive more grace for yourself. Why 70 times 7? Because constantly we fall back into the routine of, of thinking that we need to earn for ourselves. We still live in fear. We still believe that we are somehow indebted. We still think that even to God that we need to prove ourselves. And if you secretly believe that, it will manifest in the way that you actually view other people. If you have no grace for yourself, there's no way that you're going to have grace for the people around you. This is the second dashboard light. It is actually the moment you struggle with unforgiveness, the problem isn't with trying to forgive people more. The problem is you're not receiving the grace of God for yourself. And so the solution for the Christian is go back. Understand what the gospel is. Have you somehow misconstrued the gospel as a gospel of earning and works? Have you somehow made the gospel about you and your performance as a husband or as a wife, as a colleague, as a boss, as a manager, as a student, as a brother or as a sister, about your image that you bring out there? 
your ability to lift high the name of Christians and Jesus. And when you inadvertently fail and need to chastise yourself and have less grace on yourself, we see in the way that's how we treat the people around us. And firstly, it happens in church. I'm so disappointed. So disappointed in you not being able to do this and that. I'm not saying we're not disappointed with one another. But if the standard to receiving grace is first doing something, we've got to, then we're missing the bus. There is no such thing as forgive but never forget. We're seeing as we approach Jesus, and we're almost there, that he removes our sins and our debts from us as far as the east is from the west. Completely forgetting about it. Yes, he has blotted them out. He's wiped away, torn out our transgressions. I know, I know the hesitations that you guys have. We still have wisdom with people. Yes, I'm not going to continue give an addict room to hurt us. However, the place where we want to forgive someone is to make sure that the relationship is 100% restored. And this is a daily process. Exactly because we don't save ourselves, we need daily salvation. You have to realize that forgiveness is a process. It's a process of restoring relationship as we restore the relationship with the Father ourselves. And that's why Jesus said 70 times 7, because this is going to be an ongoing thing. You will continually discover spaces and places in your life and in your heart where you don't trust Jesus, where you are seeking affirmation from the people around you, and where you're harboring unforgiveness. But the good news this morning is, rather than this being discouraged or I need to be rebuked, it is an encouraging thing. The thing that you need to receive this morning and realize is, thank God I've got the opportunity to repent and forgive again. Thank God that he has put me into a church that is full of messed up people. And I'm going to get lots of opportunity to have to receive forgiveness and give forgiveness. Why? Because by all means possible, we want to make sure that we do not drift into the hole or into the idea that we can somehow pay our own debts back and that we are not solely dependent on the grace of God. Thank God that he designed the church to be a hospital and not a showpiece. I think, I'm not sure, but I think it is Keller that said, the church is the place where we actually see the brokenness of people displayed. <laughs> Contrary to what people think, that the church is this perfect place where people go. The church is the showpiece where people's brokenness is displayed. And as such, we will daily have the opportunity to return to Christ and taste His grace. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this. We thank you for this park and this beautiful people that we have that we can share life with. And if we have to be honest, Father, this is really difficult. People really do hurt us. People really do owe us something. It's not an insignificant amount of debt, even as we saw in the parable. This is something that actually it has an effect on us. We feel it on our skin. We even feel it on our livelihood as we feel us, our pride dented and our egos shrunk. 
However, we want to look to you and turn it around in weakness, actually see what good a place this is to be at, where we can once again come to you, the throne of grace, and see that the bank account will never run empty. I haven't responded the way that I should. I wasn't kind and gracious and merciful as I should have been. And yet, every day, you invite us to once again taste the good news of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that we would be Christians that don't perfectly forgive, but perfectly comes to you receiving forgiveness. And we pray that we would then grow in our fruit of forgiveness, knowing that it is actually not through our own effort, but solely through the Spirit that works within us. In your name we pray. Amen.